a lot of her friends were like, uh, "Oh, I hear that you're in the next Bond movie. What's it called?" And she would say, "She would say, I don't think they've named it yet." <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Welcome to Gold, Diamonds, and Death, a James Bond podcast. I am your double O host, Jonathan Watkins. I am a writer for all things under the CinemaSins brand name and a co-host of the Behind the Sins podcast. Joining me each and every week for this endeavor, he's the co-founder of CinemaSins and co-host of the weekly podcast, Recotopia. And with everything he sets out to do, he's always trying to reach an all-time high. And he is also one of my good friends, Mr. Chris Atkinson. How are you this week, sir? Hello, I'm doing all right. Awesome. Yes. We mm-hmm. are going to talk about Octopussy. This is, I, right. I wonder if there's somebody out there, please don't do this, and I hate that I'm giving you this idea, but I wonder if there's somebody that's going to like cut this up to where it's just us saying Octopussy over and over. Or now someone definitely yeah, is. Or you remove Octo, uh, you know, from the from mm-hmm. the word. Yeah. So that could be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but we're gonna say it'll be a, pussy it'll a be lot. a weird it'll be a weird pussy though because it'll <laughs> yeah, be like it'll that's be true it'll be it'll be a different like slightly different accents yeah. on the syllables or whatever. So or you like, catch like the last bit of that O, so it'd be like oh pussy, you know, or something. Yeah, like exactly. That. Yeah, a pussy, a pussy, <laughs> a pussy. <laughs> Still can't believe this is a even in 1983. Like I, I am assuming my mom did not take me to this because there was no way in hell she was gonna be like two for octopussy, please. Um, I'll tell you straight up in the uh, uh, the behind the scenes there, Christina Wayborn who plays yeah. uh, Magda. I like her a lot, uh, by they, the way, in this movie. I, I like her a yeah. lot too. And and seeing her in her interviews, I was like, oh man, I, I wish I need to see more of her because she's, she's fantastic. Much, though it sucks, she's in like a lot of yeah. TV, but she didn't do a lot of movies. So, but she's a she seems to be a wonderful person. Yeah. Um. And uh. And she was. She was saying that uh, a lot of her friends were like, uh, "Oh, I hear that you're in the next Bond movie. What's it called?" And she would say, "She would say, I don't think they've named it yet." <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, it is based. I mean, they didn't make up the title though. The title does come from a uh, from a from an Ian Fleming story, which we'll talk about later. And it's really weird. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny that they they try to skirt everything which is just yeah. it's basically i want to get away with saying pussy in this movie <laughs> is all it comes down to by saying well it was in the fleming story and there's like a backstory for it where it's like yeah but there the backstory is gross too yeah like even is. roger moore's like okay <laughs> Oh, God. I mean, it, it, we already had Pussy Galore. I was just thinking you did It's not like you had Sean Connery going, oh, pussy or whatever. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. This seems weirder for some reason. I don't know. But let's get talk about it. So we're going to go behind the scenes, talk a, bit, a little bit about the making of the film. This is a segment we like to call Eon Flux. This is a journey. I'm going to make a movie. We have to go back, Kate. Wow. How did you know all that stuff? I did my research. I don't understand any of this. What the fuck is going on? We're going to scour through the history of Eon Productions and give you all the highs and lows that went into the makings of these films. I feel like this one was, uh, this one felt like it was pretty like straightforward. Like there wasn't a lot of craziness there. I mean, the main thing I guess is that Never Say Never Again is also in production. That is going to come mm-hmm. out also in 1983. 
And so there's there's a lot of stuff do, going on behind the scenes and that's being the the idea is that everybody wants everyone to know that this is this is the Bond franchise that that never mm-hmm. said ever again is nothing. This is the Bond franchise. And so there was, I guess, some effort to kind of make this stand out a little bit in that way, although I don't really completely understand that like they they intricate like the the theme is used quite a bit more often than it normally is in mm. different ways stuff like that they mm-hmm. just wanted people and that's also why Roger Moore mainly comes back but i'll get into that in just a second so this film was released it's the 13th film in the official James Bond franchise like i just said it's the first of two bond films that'll come out in 1983 it was the it was the summer of bond is what i kept reading uh, it was released on june 6 1983 in the uk uh, June 10th here in the United States and in Canada or well, United States. Yeah, I guess that was in Canada also. North America. Usually yeah, North just America. Like it's, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. On a budget of 27.5 million, it made 187.5 million. So it was a hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, 67.8 mm-hmm. million was in North America. Uh, it was the sixth highest grossing film at the U.S. box office. Uh, that was, of course, the year of Return of the Jedi, 1983. Yep. Return of the Jedi, which was number one and made two hundred million more than the number two movie, which was the yeah. Oscar uh, winner for best picture uh, terms of endearment, uh, which was my my dad's favorite movie. Although I don't really? know if that was a lie. Like I think I feel like his favorite movie was probably like Stripes or something, but he just wanted people to think he was serious. I guess. Uh, yeah, maybe so. <laughs> I will say Terms of Endearment is one of those movies when you when you read the synopsis, you're like, oh no, 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 I'm not. Nah, that's not good, right? <laughs> but it turns out to be really good. It like is it's really good. way better than the synopsis, especially would, when would, you uh, hear about how you. much Deborah Winger and uh, Shirley MacLaine hated each other. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, but they yeah. play a super effective mother and daughter in that movie, and maybe one of the best, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. is just funny. Uh, bit a lot, a lot more variety, like in the top ten, which which I guess has been pretty common. But like Flashdance was number three, uh, Trading Places, uh, War Games, which yep. I didn't remember War Games was that big of a hit. By the way, film a- film goers in 1983 were treated to two scenes of people on trains dressed up as gorillas trading places and oh this that's movie. right that does happen in trading places i totally forgot about mm-hmm. that <laughs> God. yep that's mm-hmm. wild uh, and they're both in and, the and, top I'm, and i'm gonna say at least two because there's maybe yeah. more that i'm not even remembering <laughs> right now so i think that's probably it like uh, you know we were good because yeah, it was like, uh, congo not congo it was uh james belushi in uh trading places right. he was dressed up as the gorilla it's been a long time since or i've seen is, that yeah mm-hmm. uh, too long uh war games uh was the one that finished a little bit ahead of octopus he had made about 12 million more uh sudden impact which was the fourth dirty hairy film uh, it made about two hundred thousand less than Octopussy, mm-hmm. and then also you had Staying Alive, which was uh, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, directed by Sylvester Stallone. I've never seen it, but that movie was huge, apparently. Uh, Mr. Mom and Risky Business. That is a weird, like that would be the weirdest double feature ever, by the way. Mr. Mom and Risky mm-hmm. Business. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Tom Cruise. Eighty three was the year where Tom Cruise burst on the scene. Oddly enough, it was also Nicole Kidman's first film that year. Uh, a movie called Bush Christmas, which I've never seen. Mm, I assume mm, it means the mm. bush in like Australia. I would guess, but yeah, probably so. Uh, I don't. Maybe it was a family name. I don't know. Um, but it, by the way, this I don't know if this makes any difference. I said James Bel- James Belushi is dressed up as a gorilla in Trading Places, but it ends up being Paul Gleason because. 
he's the one who ends up in oh, the that's gorilla. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He like takes the suit he, or whatever, right? He takes the yeah. suit later in the on the train when there's the big whole thing with Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, Denholm Elliott and Eddie Murphy and all of them doing the different characters and stuff like that. That is Paul a, that is definitely a movie made on cocaine. Like, there's no way that movie oh, wasn't sure. made on cocaine for sure. Absolutely. And I think there's even a scene. Isn't there a scene where like Dan Aykroyd does cocaine? He's got like cocaine like all over his face or something. Is that trading places? Maybe I don't know if he does cocaine. I know that he's accused of doing it because they oh, try. You know, they have yeah. to make him. Uh, they have to make him homeless. Yes. Whatever. Yeah. And so, like, they they plan it on him. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I can't. I, yeah. I'm right now. I'm blanking on on Me all too, the different like, details. I don't think he does. I don't think he does it. Maybe he does towards the end. I don't know. I'm but. just like I just have a scene in my head of him with like white powder on him, but it could be from another movie. It could be a lot of things. I could be misremembering because mm-hmm. it's been a long time since I've seen it. But uh, I'm sure that movie's not problematic either. I'm sure it's very uh, socially no, aware. From 1983, 1983, <laughs> absolutely has nothing, no, John, no problems. John with it Landis, I mean, most politically correct person ever. You know, so. absolutely. Yep. <laughs> All right. We already said film's title is obviously taken from a short story that uh, Fleming wrote. Uh, Albert Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson are back producing. And John Glenn is back in the director's chair for his second film uh, in the franchise as a director. Uh, His first film, obviously, Mm. we talked about last week uh, for your eyes only. United Artists, we already talked about, too. They're having all kinds of financial issues at that time. But even so, they still went ahead and greenlit. Oh, and that was mainly because of Heaven's Gate. But even though they were having financial troubles, they still went ahead and greenlit uh, this movie in 1982. But then shortly after that, uh, United Artists is, was was purchased by MGM, making this the first film to officially be released, first film in this franchise to officially be released MGM. Obviously, MGM had been releasing films for a very long time before this. Mm-hmm. But this was their first bond. So yeah, writing. Uh, Michael G. Wilson and Richard Maybaum uh, do come on eventually to write this. However, <laughs> what? Oh, Richard Maybaum. Maybaum. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be weird when we don't say his name. Um, George McDonald Frazier, however, was brought on initially. Uh, he was uh, most known at the time as a novelist. He had written uh, this really popular series of novels uh, called Flashman. I've never read them. I don't know much mm. about them. There was a movie made based on one of them by Richard Blester in 1975 called Royal Flash, and Malcolm McDowell uh, played the main character there. But also, Frazier would then go on to write other screenplays for Richard Lester, uh, the Three Musketeer films specifically that Richard Lester directed. Uh, There's three of those. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, Oliver Reed and all yeah, the yeah, like, yeah. Oliver Reed's in them. Yeah, there's three, there's yeah, three Musketeers, and then there's like. It's either Four Musketeers or it's the fourth. I can't remember how it's titled. Yeah. Yeah. I and think that I those think are both right. in the 70s. And then, like, weirdly, like, either in the late 80s or early 90s, they made, like, Return of the Musketeers. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, anyways, Richard Lester also was the guy who did, uh, you know, Hard Dates Night, uh, mm-hmm. Superman 3. <laughs> Uh, yep, yep, yep. But uh, Frazier also wrote scripts. Uh, he's uncredited, but apparently he wrote something. Uh, he he was involved in Force 10 from Navarone, uh, which was the sequel to Guns of Navarone made in the 70s. And then also the, the year after, uh, two years after this, he wrote the Red Sonia, which was supposed to be mm-hmm. like a spinoff of the, the Conan. The Barbarian films, and this was around that time where they were trying to make, um, oh my God, I just forgot her name, Bridget Nielsen. Bridget Nielsen, they were trying to make her mm-hmm. into like a... A, a, a big thing and she definitely had a few years where she was in some huge movies uh yep film was originally supposed to take place in japan 
Uh, but Frazier, although I read a couple different things. I, I, I read that when they hired Frazier, Frazier suggested they do it in India because he had done a bunch of research on India for the Flashman novels. I also read, though, that Broccoli wanted him to come write the script because of the Flashman novels. And, they, and so it kind of made it seem like maybe they already were going to set it in India. So I don't know which is true. But for whatever reason, that's why they in wanted the, him uh, involved. Yeah, in the behind the scenes, they, 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 they said that because of his research or or knowledge of india that that he wrote um uh, from what i can tell wrote a lot about the surroundings mm-hmm. like what they ended mm-hmm. up when they went and did uh, location scouting and everything that's they found basically the place that that they felt like he was writing about yes. in there um and and uh they said that the main one of the main issues with shooting in india is that it's huge and getting around is hard mm-hmm. So like to try to find a spot where you have everything within five to 10 minutes of the, of everything is very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And they found this spot that seemed like what he was writing about in either the, I don't know if it was a treatment or an original, the, the original screenplay or what, but he wrote, they the, knew he wrote the first draft. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess he wrote an official screenplay. Uh, then they, of course they call Richard Maybaum like, Hey, we need you to come back. And, uh, Mm-hmm. Him and Michael G. Wilson take it and they rewrite it. I, I the the only thing they did keep he was the one that came up with the stuff like he wrote. Uh, Fraser wrote the stuff like um, the bot the clown uh, dressing up as a clown and mm-hmm. and the gorilla. So they kept all that and he apparently had this uh, opening scene though that they rewrote. But the opening scene originally was supposed to be a motorcycle chase. Uh, mm-hmm. At the Isle of Man TT, which I guess is a really popular or was a popular uh, motorcycle race area, and uh, they they changed that to uh, the the whole thing with the plane. Which actually, the pre-title sequence, I mean, it's 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 quite a bit of fun. So I I don't know if that would have been better or not. Um, the jewelry stuff though was mostly uh, that was mostly Maybaum and Wilson, from what I could tell. Like they kind of came up with the, all the stuff about the jewels, uh, mm-hmm. which got gets really confusing. Um, as to far like w- yes, it does. Yeah, I, yeah. We can- it, it, it it's 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 tremendously confusing. I I I sat there went went back yeah. and forth about who's working for who, who's <laughs> providing what to what, what person where and for are what the reason. Jewels? What are the real jewels? It was just yeah, like there. I mean, yeah, it it, it became a chore uh, trying to think of like where all the stuff is. So, uh, yeah. Roger Moore wanted to retire from the role. Uh, once again, Timothy Dalton, uh, Lewis Collins, uh, Michael, uh, Michael Billington were all kind of thought for the Billington yep. supposedly uh, as of, uh, the, he's been screen tested for more bonds than anyone else supposedly reportedly. So I thought that was interesting, mm-hmm. which we've mentioned his name a few times. Uh, other yeah. people, uh, oh, the only other one I had was Oliver Tobias, but, uh, Broccoli actually denies that that ever happened. That's just something that apparently Tobias has said and Broccoli denies it. So who knows? And, and uh and James Brolin. Oh yeah, James Brolin. I have uh, them too, sorry. Uh yeah, James Brolin actually did a screen mm-hmm. test. They show the um they show the screen test in the behind the scenes oh, nice. on Octopussy where uh Maud Adams is doing the scene from uh, uh the man with the golden gun, mm-hmm. I believe. I believe that's what scene that they're doing in there. I could be wrong. Um it could be the scene from Octopussy. I'm not sure. I can't remember, but um but uh, James Brolin comes in, and it's really weird <laughs> seeing him as Bond. Like, he's American, I, like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, father of Josh Brolin. Oh yeah, yeah, of um, course, of course. Uh, but yeah, like it was just weird seeing it. Going, I could maybe see it happen. Like, yeah, I know what you're saying. It would require a whole movie and maybe a series of movies for yeah. me to go. Like James Brolin's pretty good. Like you know, I don't know. I, that one scene was hard. To I read one thing where it even said he was cast. Um, like or at, at least yeah. at least he felt like he was because he was looking for a place in London. Um, mm-hmm. and trying to yeah, Roger Moore gets this at the very last he minute. He does like he 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 signs on very last minute. And apparently. the reason they really started pursuing him was once again because Never Say Never Again is coming out, and that's being mm-hmm. filmed too, and that has Connery. And so they mm-hmm. felt putting a new person up against Connery might not work in their fate. Now they do like, and I've already said the top ten. Never Say Never Again is not in the top ten, so. Octopus, he does yeah. better than Never Say Never Again. I don't even know what Never... Yeah. I haven't looked into Never Say Never Again yet. But they were concerned at the time that that, was, that could be an issue. And they felt if they had Roger Moore in the role, at least people would understand this is the Bond film. Uh, that, yeah, that's, I would say... I, I, if I remember, the Octopus, he did make a decent amount more than Never Say mm-hmm. Never, but it wasn't like, like a landslide, if I remember correctly. And I think... Um, Never Say Never is probably just outside the top 10, if that's the case. Uh, so Never Say Never Again, it made, well, $160 million worldwide, which is about $27 million less than Octopussy. And then it made, and let's see. It looks like it made uh, $55 million in yeah, North America. Yeah, so it was... What did I? What was? And well, and it doesn't say worldwide on here, so I'm wondering if it if it made a worldwide. No, 160 uh, is what it says on Wikipedia. Okay, Box Office Mojo does not give worldwide on this for some reason, but it was 13th. Um, yeah, in 1983, yeah, Octopussy in made 67 low domestically, so mm-hmm. it was about 12 million. Yeah, different. it the, wasn't that much of a difference. Yeah, I mean, it was probably enough for you know. MGM to be happy or to broccoli to be happy, sure. but uh, yeah, definitely wasn't wasn't like they didn't kill it. But you do wonder, like, if it's not Roger Moore, I I don't know why that would have mattered. But I I mean, I guess I see their their point. But they went after him pretty mm-hmm. hard after that, and then he finally was just like, fine. And and if if anything that we've come to learn about these type of things, where they where they have somebody coming in to screen test mm-hmm. and everything, like. If Roger Moore is asking for a whole bunch of money mm-hmm. to come back, and then they start screen testing James Brolin, who's not going to request that much money, mm-hmm. then they can reduce the price that, you know, so I, I, I'm pretty sure that's probably where they were heading on that mm-hmm. one. That's why Brolin thought he had it, is that it didn't look like Moore was going to sign. Yeah. And, and, then, and then at the last minute, Moore's like, okay, I guess they've got James Brolin now. I guess I'm going to have to <laughs> sign whatever they want to give me. So That could be it. Who knows? Uh, mm-hmm. Maude Adams uh, plays Octopussy. You already mentioned she was also in The Man with the Golden Gun. Got to be honest, don't really remember her from that because I don't really remember much about that movie, even though we just I watched just it. Remember her death, <laughs> I just remember her death scene in oh, it because yeah, yeah, she yeah. gets shot yeah. in the that crowd and like yeah. somehow manages to stay still like she's frozen in ice. But And so we've had yeah. people come back from other films, but she's like kind of the first to play technically, I guess, a couple of Bond girls. Like that's just kind of odd. Mm-hmm. You know, and I guess... I guess, I guess until recently where we had uh, Leah Sado, uh, you know, re- repeat her role. Um, I still think that's a little different, though, because she's actually playing the same character. Maude Adams isn't. So that's definitely different. 
Uh, Sybil yeah. Danning was originally considered. I cannot see that at all, by the way. That would have been mm-hmm. weird. Although it's interesting because I do think Grace Jones and Sybil Danning are kind of very similar actors. Like they're pretty, like they have like just this really like strong presence and they're just kind of like ferocious. Uh, and so I think that's uh, Grace Jones kind of it obviously will pop up in, the, in a couple weeks. We'll talk about this one, but she's in the next Roger Moore Bond film. Uh, Mm-hmm. Barbara Carrera uh, t- says she turned down the role. I read a couple different reports on that, but Barbara Carrera ends up being one of the main characters in Never Say Never Again. Uh, mm-hmm. And she was also up for this, apparently. Uh, Faye Dunaway was briefly considered, but then they just figured she would cost too much, so they kind of went away from that pretty quickly. Uh, Jane Jenkins, who is this casting director, she was also told at first to look for South Asian actresses. Uh, so she, I think, screen tested a couple. It was uh, Persis uh, Combat. Uh, she was in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, mm. And then Susie uh, Colho, I'm going to go with. I did not see anything else um, she had been in, so she didn't have very many credits. Uh, Kathleen Turner and Barbara Parkins also uh, reportedly uh, auditioned uh, for the role. I shouldn't say Susie Colho didn't have a lot of credits. She did. I just, it wasn't anything. I, I did not know her from anything. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. M does come back. Uh, he is played by Robert Brown, uh, and he'll play the mm-hmm. character for a couple of movies. Uh, he was also in The Spy Who Loved Me as Admiral Hargreaves. Uh, VJ Amritraj <laughs> uh, plays a character named VJ uh, in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a tennis player. Yeah, professional tennis player. He used to play tennis with uh, Broccoli. Uh, and I, I, I think he, like, said it would be fun to be in one of the Bond movies, and then so Broccoli found a role for him. Uh, he even has a tennis racket at one point. <laughs> it's a weapon. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he said something to the effect of, like, uh, it w- it'd be awesome to be able to say that I was at Pinewood in the morning yeah. and Wimbledon in the afternoon. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, yeah, he was mm-hmm. pretty popular at the time. I-, I did not know him, but, like, I mean, this was obviously uh, – well, I guess this was in the 80s. I don't remember. I, maybe he played like in the 70s or something, though. I didn't look that deep into it. But uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't a name I was familiar with around that time. Louis Jordan uh, plays... Yeah, it's uh, Louis L- Jordan. Louis Jordan plays Kamal Khan. Uh, I know him mostly. He played Arcane in uh, Wes Craven's uh, uh, Swamp Thing movie from... Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was a year before this. Uh, but mm-hmm. L- Louis Jordan is like the perfect, like just eccentric uh like he's what i picture when i think of like like an eccentric like uh i don't know what his nationality is actually in the movie but i'm thinking like eccentric like french or he's British supposed or to be indian i believe but indian that's I don't, right i don't i don't i think he's just a french guy who can who was somehow able yeah. to pass off as indian in this one they yeah. may have done some skin coloring or something but but he's um, like, yeah, but he's uh, he's just got that look. Like, he just looks like he's up to no good at all times. I don't know how else to explain it. Uh, he's he's pretty perfect for that role. But he's he plays Kamal Khan, one of the villains. The villain, the villain thing gets kind of uh, messy, too. Like, who's a villain and who's not and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Uh, we already mentioned Christina Wayborn. She plays Magda. Uh, does Unfortunately, does not have very many credits, and most of her credits are television. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's, I don't think she's had one for a while. Like, I think most of that yeah, was like in the she, 80s. Yeah, it was, I think 86 or something may have been the last time she was in something. Maybe she's just she found something else to do in her life. Yeah, she probably did. Um, Like, 
there's there's some like activity all the way to like the early 90s and then like yeah. it's sporadic and then yeah. she did a short just as recently as this year uh, but that was like okay. that was like a four year gap uh, between projects. Yeah. So she only has nineteen credits on the IMDb. Oh. I hope she's hope she's doing well. Yeah. Uh, good for her. Uh, Stephen Murkoff is General Orlov. Uh, a year <laughs> a year after this, he's in one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Uh, maybe the highest grossing R rated movie at that point. I don't remember Beverly Hills Cop. Well, he yeah, plays for Victor a long Maitland. time, I think Beverly Hills Cop was the was the top. But then like stuff like Wedding Crashers and mm-hmm. uh, Passion Hangover. of the Christ and st- I don't know if Hangover ever made it, but. Um, but yeah, you might be right. But uh, but Passion of the Christ and Wedding Crashers and uh, the Matrix and stuff like that. Yeah, all, all, yeah. Uh, got uh, high. May have gotten higher grossing uh, R rated. But yeah, Stephen Burkoff was a fixture of the eighties. Like that's a villain. Oh yeah, that's a villain face that you cannot forget. Yeah, he's in Rambo: First Blood Part Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays uh, uh, Lieutenant Podofsky. Uh, but yeah, Victor Maitland's what I always I always think of. He also, though, I don't know how any of us can forget his betrayal of uh, Pavel Kozik mm-hmm. uh, in the 1995 classic starring Cindy Crawford yep. and Billy Baldwin. Yep, yep. Fair, Fair game. game. Yep. That movie had a $50 million budget. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. How did they ever think that movie was going to make that much money? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Makes anyways. no sense. Yeah. Uh, Fair Game also, the one thing I remember about Fair Game is that it's based on the same novel that technically the Stallone movie Cobra is based on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're two very, I, it's weird. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a whole thing. Uh, but uh, yeah. So yeah, I uh, Stephen Burkoff, who I actually thought, I sadly thought was dead. He is not. He's still mm-hmm. alive. Mm-hmm. Um, still working. Probably has lunch with uh, Christina Wayborn on the weekends. All the Who time. Knows? All the time. David Meyer and Anthony Meyer. Yep. Uh, they play the, the twin knife throwers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have character names, Mishak and Grishik, or Mishik and Grishka. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're credited as twin one and twin two. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, Desmond Llewellyn's back as Q. He he has often said this is his favorite. At the time, it was his favorite that he had worked on. He said it probably because he had more to do than mm-hmm. usual. Uh, Lewis Maxwell's back uh, as Money Penny. Jeffrey Keen is back. There's this. I couldn't find much on this, but so Money Penny has an assistant in this movie. Yep. With the unfortunate character name of Penelope Smallbone. Yep. And uh, she is played by Michaela Clavel. This was her third credit, it, and she only has three credits mm-hmm. on IMDb. I wonder if there was something like, if like maybe we have a Maxwell replacement or, because uh, didn't they do that with John Cleese like in Q? They like may in have, that? but uh, in uh, the behind the scenes on this one, the uh, Lois Maxwell says that at, at when she got on the set, she was like, "Oh, I see, you're trying to get the replacement for Money Penny oh. on this," <laughs> and then she realized that it was just uh, a a daughter of a woman that she used to hang out with in uh, the sixties when they were both models or something like that. And they just put her in like for a token thing. It wasn't really a replacement situation. Well, I'm glad you, you saw something about that because I did not see anything and I couldn't find anything. That's cool. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. And that's a dumb scene too. It's like he, he it's thinks a that's really money stupid fucking thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like sadly, a lot of the a lot of those scenes have kind of become so filming. Uh, this was filmed uh, West Berlin and in India, and also they filmed some stuff in England. Uh, the Monsoon Palace was used as the exterior for Kamal Khan's palace. Mm-hmm. 
And then they had a couple of places they used for octopuses. It was Lake Palace and Jagmandir. Uh, so these are just some places in, in, in India, these really beautiful did we uh, uh did we talk houses. about also uh Kabir Betty, the guy who plays uh Gobenda, like basically the no. the jaws of this movie, the the silent assassin. Oh no, I, I did forget to write him down. Yeah. The only thing I want to say about this like is first off, he's he's fantastic in the role, but uh-huh. I am a little sad that they made him silent because in the behind the scenes when they talk to Kabir Betty He's got this beautiful, deep voice that would have been amazing. Um, Yeah, because the only time he says anything is like on the plane, and he's like, he's like out there, like when he asks him to go out on the wing or whatever. That's the only thing. Yeah, Uh, Go Benda, Kabir Betty plays Go Benda, the uh, the the guy who's like the right hand man of Stephen Burkoff in the movie. Yeah. And uh, he's, uh, yeah, he is, he's very, he's got a very menacing, menacing look to him. So it mm-hmm. is pretty cool. But he is kind of like a Jaws. He's a little more like intense, I think, in some ways. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Uh, but he's the one where they have that scene where he's, uh, so there's a scene with Bond and, um, and Camille uh, and Khan or whatever uh, at the, at the backgammon, the, the, the high stakes backgammon game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he grabs uh, the Betty grabs the dice and crushes them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To show yeah. to show Bond that he means business. Uh, right. Yeah. No, I'm glad you mentioned him. I did. I did forget to write him down. It's a kind of sort of uh, uh, a throwback to um, uh, what's his name and Odd Job. Yeah, Odd Job, where he smashes the golf ball and yeah, in his yeah, hand. it's exactly it's the same thing. <laughs> it's yeah. the exact same scene. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but I don't know. I kind of like it better here. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, they also, like I said, they did shoot some stuff in England. They also went to Utah. Uh, that was like some of the like desert type stuff. They had a couple areas that they used in Utah for some of that. Uh, the BD BD dash five J aircraft. This is used at the beginning of the film. Uh, he's got it in a horse trailer. They mm-hmm. said that the plane actually had collapsible wings, but that mm-hmm. was still a dummy coming out of the horse trailer, which I thought was odd. Uh, mm-hmm. if they had a way to fit it in there, I, I don't know, but, um, it, uh, how the parts of him flying in the hangar though, they couldn't, they had, they attached it to a Jaguar, yep. uh, with, uh, with a steel pole. They removed the roof of the Jaguar, which I, that, that <laughs> the Jaguar, the, the, uh, the, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to call you out on the Jaguar pronunciation, Jonathan. Um, yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, Jaguar. What was I saying? Jaguar. Like people always call it the Jacksonville Jaguars and it's like, it's not yeah, spelled J-A-G-W-I-R-E-S. It's spelled Jaguar. Anyway, the, uh, the, that it scene is, uh, the way they shot that's really awesome. Like they, they did mm-hmm. this thing with like models and they did, uh, they had like, it's, uh, where they, I guess they shot the the barn or the the, ha- the hangar. They shot the hangar like at a really far away distance or whatever. But then they like put a door, like a really small door, really mm-hmm. up close to the camera, and it just looks like the door is is closing. Yeah. On the hangar, <laughs> but they actually have a much bigger space mm-hmm. to drive that to fly that plane into. You just think it look it looks like there have has no space whatsoever, and they did it on the on the way out too. Yeah. Um. And when did, what was this? This was supposed to be in either Moon. I think it was Moonraker, right? They had this scene uh, was supposed to be in Moonraker, um, or it was either that or For Your Eyes Only. 
I think it was Moonraker, though. No, the 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 stuff they took from Moon... The Oh, you're not talking about they took it from the book. You're saying this was a scene they were going to have in the movie? In the movie. Oh, okay. I didn't I didn't read that, so... Yeah, it's uh, the, the this scene where he goes through the hangar and flies out and it blows up and all that was supposed to be... I think it was Moonraker was when it was supposed to be. Uh, but it could have been for your eyes only. It's one mm-hmm. of the previous ones that they were supposed to do this yeah. scene in, but uh, ended up making it in this one. So, yeah, no, they took something for the Moonraker novel. That's why I got confused. But that was something. That's the um, the backgammon scene was mm-hmm. the novel Moonraker. Uh, but that's something they actually had in the movie. Yeah. So they yeah, and then they also said when they were driving it around. Um, they they just blocked the scene really well. Like they had all these mm. extras and yeah. props and stuff, just so you couldn't ever see the jaguar. Jaguar. <laughs> I can't say it. I'm. I'm it's yeah. one of those words <laughs> that I'm just never going to be able to say correctly. Especially yep, now yep. that I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was not a lot of stuff I read about the stunts. There was a Martin Grace. He was a stunt coordinator, and he also doubled for Roger Moore, which. God, there's that scene on the train, and you're just like, or on the, it's not on the plane or the train. I guess it's on the plane. You're just like, that is not Roger Moore. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the although uh, the train, you may have heard, you, you you may be about to get into this thing about the train, but um, yeah, but this he, is where he got hurt. He got about hurt. To say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the uh, something is. I think the scene just kept going. Nobody mm-hmm. yelled cut, which is something we heard about the the gondola scene uh mm-hmm. in um which one was it now the spy who loved me no it wasn't the spy who loved me it was might have been for eyes only it was oh, moonraker. moonraker it was moonraker and uh they you know where they, they had the guy hanging off of the the gondola mm-hmm. and he was just sitting there and nobody yelled cut and he like you know he's yeah. just sitting there like that but this is what that's the same thing happened to this guy and then it the it gets on part of the track that they haven't rehearsed yet mm-hmm. They hadn't and, surveyed uh, it. They didn't know anything about it. I don't know. I mean, it was weird. Yeah. And then there's uh, it's like some, some sort of stone abutment type of thing was jutting out. Concrete pole. Concrete pole. Yeah. Um, that he ran into and like took a big chunk out of his thigh, apparently. Um, mm-hmm. it and fractured he was in the hospital. Yeah. He's in a hospital for six months. Yeah. He's so, uh, and in the thing I read, they said he, it was, I mean, it could have been even worse. Uh, they they got pretty lucky that he didn't like actually die because uh, mm-hmm. it could have been a lot worse. But yeah, they had the second unit director. Uh, there was a miscommunication, and so they just kept on filming. And then yeah, it's crazy. I I, I don't. I mean, maybe there are a lot more deaths than we realize. But like, I don't know. Stunt. That's one thing I'm probably happy that they do the way they do now. Even though they do do still do some crazy stuff. I mean, you got Tom Cruise goes underwater for like six minutes, but I think that's a Tom Cruise thing. I think Tom Cruise is just like, I want to do this. It's definitely a Tom and, Cruise thing. And I'm Tom Cruise. And you're not going to tell me I can't do this. But uh, the 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 plane sequence, yeah, they they did this. They freaking did this. Mm-hmm. They had the fight on the plane, yeah. and they had basically using technology that they used before they hid parachutes mm-hmm. on these guys just in case they fell off the plane fighting on top of a plane <laughs> and and they also had uh they painted the plane in such a way so that it looked like they were holding the outside mm-hmm. of their airplane yeah, I read that. but they were really gripping it they had a grip mm-hmm. uh th- it was a hidden grip that you couldn't see uh the way they painted the plane and everything but i'm sitting there going that's insane. We don't give the Bond movies, I don't think, enough credit for how much they put into their stunts. Like they were absolutely insane what stuff they did. 
yeah. because when you see something in the movie, it's usually a guy doing that stuff yeah, and it does, in the movie. It doesn't necessarily make the movie better by any means, but there is something about that where it's like, I'm taking, I mean, I don't want people to be in danger, but like, I mean, I'm just saying I'm taking more realistic stuff like that. If they're willing to do it over, you know, whatever they would do now, or they would just CG stuff. And I mean, you'd still, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I said, some movies do still do things like this, but it's, it's, it seems more rare uh, than it, than mm-hmm. it used to. And like I said, it's gotta be somebody like Tom Cruise just refusing to not do it. And yeah, but anyways, uh, yeah. And then also the only other thing I had, there was a cyclist. Uh, <laughs> there was like just a random cyclist when they were doing that rickshaw, uh, like the the sword fight or whatever. <laughs> There's a mm-hmm. cyclist in the background and it's just some dude. He was just completely yeah. oblivious to them filming. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't care what you're a, doing. I'm driving my bike through here. <laughs> that, was a, that was a really funny part of the behind the scenes because they were talking about how um, you know, they, they would, they would call for 5,000 people to be extras and 10,000 people would show up yeah. and, and it's really, they were saying it's really hard to actually, uh, you know, keep the public out of mm-hmm. the movie, out of harm's way in the movie. And they talked about this dude doing his bicycle thing. And he's like, he's like, he's like the, we saw this bicycle guy in the bicycle go through the middle of the <laughs> sword fight. And, uh, and, uh, and he didn't even bat an eye. It was like, well, that's just normal stuff for me. <laughs> it's amazing. I had to go back and watch that scene. It was so funny. Um, mm-hmm. that's like in Ghostbusters. And I think, um, I don't remember why I was talking, I was talking about this in something, but I think that was like in Ghostbusters where when they're walking down the street, after they go to the mortgage, they get his mortgage, like whatever they're doing to get money. And they're just walking down the street having that conversation. Like all those people around them are just New Yorkers and didn't even, mm-hmm. are not like supposed to be there. I mean, they were just filming it in New York while people were walking around. It wasn't like, hey, extras come. And, but it's funny mm-hmm. because in that scene, none of those people are even looking at Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. <laughs> like they don't care. Yeah. Like it's just like, right. this is a, yeah. It's like, oh, why, why are these guys like blocking the normal sidewalk? Shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so John Barry returns. Uh, this is his ninth Bond score. Uh, he, I had mentioned this, I think, at the beginning, but he, he really w- emphasized to keep using the Bond theme throughout parts of it. So hopefully mm-hmm. people would be like, this is the real Bond movie this summer. It's not the other thing. Uh, now, all the way down to the Snake Charmer's tune yep. oh, uh, God. in the movie. Uh, VJ's playing mm-hmm. his recorder. Uh, that actor, mm-hmm. uh, the actor, he was terrified of snakes. And uh, they made yeah. him a snake charmer. They said that the actual guy, the professional, what snake charmer that was on set or whatever, the who brought in the snakes, they kept asking him, "Is the poison taken out of the snake?" <laughs> and, and and the guy would say something like, "Well, yes and no," <laughs> to them. And then and then he goes yes and no what do you mean he said well he's still got some poison in him so that he can live or whatever and, uh, and they're like okay and it's like this guy this, this snake is two feet in front of me yeah. or whatever and like well at one point they know. even put snakes on him to try to make him more comfortable like he said at one point like a python mm-hmm. was just like wrapped around his neck and he was just like okay yeah. <laughs> it's what i'm doing yeah yeah uh all-time high which we've made a reference to earlier uh that mm-hmm. is the name of the song it's written by barry john barry and tim rice uh who's done a mm-hmm. lot of collaborations with Lloyd, andrew lloyd weber i feel like elton john too right wasn't he involved in like yep yep lion, lion king, king. Yeah, yeah. lion king mm-hmm. um and it's sung by rita coolidge uh all-time high is one of seven bond themes that does not reference the actual title of the movie which i'm not shocked by they 
Although yeah, I'm kind right? of like, 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 I don't know. If you're going to have the balls to name your movie Octopussy, name your song Octopussy and come up with something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a pretty popular song. Uh, it was on like the some chart, uh, adult contemporary. I don't know. It was on some chart for weeks uh, at that time, like three weeks or something. Uh, I... I honestly never remember this song. Like, this is one of the theme songs where I'm like, I got nothing. And then I hear it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. that one. Um, Mm. The release and reception. So the film got better reviews than I thought it did uh, at the time. Uh, No one, like, overly praised it, but most people were like, this is a fun Bond movie. Uh, Maude Adams was one of the main targets of criticism. Uh, And not just her, but just her character, the writing of her character, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, later on in the more current reviews, which this movie's gone down quite a bit, uh, it's currently at like a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes and the audience score is only 47. Uh, a lot of retrospective reviews also, they center around um, the movie not having any stakes. Like they just don't feel like anybody's mm-hmm. ever in any kind of danger, which is weird because one of the main things is a nuclear bomb is going to go off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Stephen Burkoff gets criticized a little more in the in the hmm. more modern reviews as opposed to Mod Adams. In fact, a lot of, I was reading a lot of like modern reviews they're talking about Mod Adams and Roger Moore had really good chemistry. I don't know that I agree with that, but uh whatever. Yeah, I don't think I do either. So that's kind of all I had on the behind the scenes. Do you have anything else you wanted to t- discuss? I I do think now they didn't say this in the behind the scenes, but I do think that uh that there is a connection either it's either it's based off of the Ian Fleming stuff or whatever but I I think the the fact that Octopussy Circus is a mm-hmm. thing in this is a some, somewhat callback to Pussy Galore's Flying <laughs> I think Circus so. um but I there's not anything they don't mm-hmm. really wink wink that at all and they don't they didn't say it in the behind the scenes so I don't know no. if that's just a a coincidence or what but uh, it seems like it's kind of a callback. Yeah, and so. I rarely heard the circus brought up or read about the circus. Like, I was trying to actually look for stuff on it, like why they chose to do that. I never really could find anything, but maybe that is part of it. The other thing is, is in the scene where uh, where Magda, played by Christina Wayborn, mm-hmm. jumps off the balcony, that's her actually doing that stunt with the sari uh, un- unraveling so as she as she yeah. comes down to the to the ground and like is only in a bikini yeah. by the end of it. But um, uh, that's actually her doing that stunt, which oh, that's is cool. pretty amazing. Man, yeah, she's just she's she's just the she's the underdog of the Bond films, I think, at this point, like. We should have had more of her. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we should have definitely had more Magda. There's no doubt about it. And after, like I said, after seeing her in the behind the scenes, I was like, my God, I'm in love with you. <laughs> Could you have done more stuff that I would want to watch? And apparently not. But uh, but yeah, that, that whole fight at the end with all the women, uh, uh, you know, doing all the acrobatic circus yeah. stuff and everything, yeah. like... Like, uh, apparently they started off doing this in India, which was very hot, and they yeah. had all these, you know, scantily clad, you know, whatever, and then, like, they had to go to Pinewood in the middle of November to finish mm-hmm. it, because it's inside the set mm-hmm. or whatever, and it was apparently super cold when, and they were all wearing all this stuff. And then, you know, the stunt, stunt coordinators uh, sort of, like, taught them how to fight and everything on, yeah. the, on screen and everything, and they, apparently they really loved doing that, so... A lot of fun there ha- being had Absolutely. at the end of this movie. Absolutely. So. Mm-hmm. And we're probably going to talk about that scene and many more in our next segment. And that is called A Review to a Kill. I've got you in my sights. 
Get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. What we've got here is failure to communicate. There's no need to shout. I'm not shouting. Why don't you stop your whining and get on with it? I've heard this shit before. We are going to give you our thoughts on whatever film we are discussing this week. And this week it is Octopussy. Uh, mm-hmm. So, real quick, plot of Octopussy. Uh, fake Fabergé egg and a fellow agent's death lead James Bond to uncover an international jewel smuggling operation headed by the mysterious Octopussy, being used to disguise as a nuclear attack on NATO forces. Uh, what did you think of Octopussy, Chris? <laughs> Is this only your second time to watch it? Yeah, it's my second time, and um, uh, I don't know. If, if, if I were to rank this one... In the Roger Moore's, it's definitely. I mean, Spy Who Loved Me is is still one of my favorite all time Bonds. Yeah. So it's it's not there, and it's and it's, I think this is. I like this better than it's got to be in the top tier of Roger Moore's that are that are in mm-hmm. here. I think. Um, I think the plot is a little confusing because they are switching out real jewels with fake jewels all throughout and there's so many people who are on like like it's it's tough to figure out we i don't know if this was if it's just really tough to figure out who is doing what i it's easy to find out who is who is uh profiting and who is who is on the who's on the bad guy side by the end of the movie Mm -hmm. but like what they were doing all the way through the movie is hard to figure out so like Mm -hmm. um so like uh Bond gets on Bond gets on the trail of uh, Kamar Khan because uh, he makes he makes Kamar Khan buy that egg for five hundred thousand pounds like they're they're at the auction <laughs> and it's going to be four hundred thousand but then Bond like to the horror of of, uh, of the British government starts bidding on it and uh, <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and he, he drives the price up to five hundred. And, uh, and then he, he's like, well, you know, I'll just, you know, what if you had bought it? It was like, well, I would have told him it was fake because he had a fake Fabergé egg to show them. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and he says, what if he finds out? It's like, well, if he finds out, if he's, if he's for real, he'll say something about it. And if he doesn't, if he's not for real, he won't say anything about it. Obviously he doesn't say anything about it. And I don't even know how important it is to have that one particular Fabergé egg. They they it, end up it's a MacGuffin. They end up putting a whole bunch of treasures in this one thing mm-hmm. uh, that you know. I mean, it's in. It's going to end up going to uh, Kamar Khan, I believe, is where it ends. Like it's Stephen Burkhoff's got I, it. Yeah, I think Stephen so. Burkhoff's got yeah. it. And then I think it's supposed to eventually go to Kamar Khan. I don't know. It's you're right. It's a MacGuffin. Like none of this none of this so, but you're sitting there trying to figure out why does why are there fakes there why are there like they're replacing the fakes yeah, they're they're replacing they're the real ones fakes, yeah they're right? replacing the real ones yeah. with fakes so that it, i guess upon initial examination they look real but i don't know I, you know i mean it and they just keep they keep moving that like that case around that's got like the jewels in it then eventually it's got a bomb in it yeah. <laughs> it's just like i don't I've never been able to really kind of keep track of everything. And even when you read about the plot and stuff, it's still very confusing mm-hmm. as to like, it, I don't know. It, it, I feel like the writers never had a, huge, a great grasp on exactly what, and at some point they just kind of gave up and were just like, whatever. We're just gonna, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's just a know. little hazy. I, I mean, in, in the end, it doesn't really matter what's happening to what in all of these things. It's just that, you know, by the end of it, 
they are changing out the treasures with that nuclear bomb and they are and they are uh, sort of hiding it on this train that apparently yeah. a U.S. naval base in Germany just allows a circus train to go in to their base yep. and not get inspected yep. and uh, or anything. So you know that's 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 the way of the world, I guess. You just allow circuses <laughs> to go on your base, um, and uh, and everybody likes a circus. And the whole plot is that the. The whole the whole reasoning behind it is well oh no a nuclear bomb exploded on a uh, accidentally on a U.S. base a naval base well then we'll all have to be disarmed after that that's a that's a really huge leap yeah. in logic uh, I think so. I know that they're discussing it at the very beginning they're in that that like sort of that war room thing at the beginning that the only thing that looks kind of Ken Adamish even though we've got Peter Lamont doing the production design yeah. Um, they are talking about nuclear disarmament. They don't want to, like, no country wants to go, wants to be uh, out maneuvered in these things. But, mm -hmm. but like, the only one who's like, like, you know, who's really crazy about it is the Burkoff character. And yeah, I don't know. They, he seems to think that blowing that up, he seems to think that that blowing up is going to cause everybody to want to disarm, and then they can just go to whatever country they want to and take. Yeah, it. and it's like, why would Khan be? behind that like it's it's a weird thing and then also like you know burkoff makes this comment like they're not going to blame the russians like this is 1983 they're absolutely going to blame the russians at least at first maybe they would have no proof but like i don't know the idea that no there would be no retaliation and well, everybody yeah, would think it was an accident I don't know. They, maybe they understand that they wouldn't be they wouldn't be able to trace that a a, a nuke got shot from russia that's what well that's true that's that's, that's the, probably that's it, yeah. the thing that they you know they go in that that really quick exposition thing when roger moore's on the train but like um but i, I just think it's a huge leap and i, I mean it, it fits bond villains uh a lot to think yes, that it does to, to make a giant leap about something that people will just be like okay this is like they, they think they're playing 4d chess but they're but <laughs> they they really aren't playing any kind of chess yeah they're just like doing you know they're just really causing chaos is basically what it comes down to but yeah i guess i guess i'm just saying i don't it definitely wouldn't go down as smooth as uh, the Burkoff character no. is is making it out to be. Um, I I'm kind of with you. I I I could not defend this movie if somebody came at me and pointed out all the shit because there's a lot of shit and uh, I have negative things to say about it. But I do kind of like this mm -hmm. movie. I this is I'm actually kind of surprised because I I hadn't seen a lot of the Moors recently um, and. I'm I'm shocked that I like as many as I do because I kind of came into this thinking I wouldn't like this was one I thought I remembered not being all that good but it's fine like and I don't know if that's because also I'm coming off for your eyes only which was kind of dull mm -hmm. and just talk about a movie that had no stakes um, yeah and uh, and I I liked Moonraker more than I thought I would and I like Moonraker I think more than this but I I still prefer I definitely like this more than for your eyes only I definitely like this more than Man with the Golden Gun it's probably in that live and let die mm -hmm. maybe well no live and let die but see live and let die is pretty good too like yeah. Live and Let Die just falls apart so mm -hmm. so quickly and badly there at the end yeah. that it kind of like not you 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 don't leave that one with with fun memories but uh you know the first forty five minutes of that one or whatever are pretty great but anyways uh I I just have fun with this I get all the complaints but and I will say 
Um, I don't really like, I don't know if it's Maude Adams or if it's the writing, and I don't remember her in Man with the Golden Gun that well, so I just don't know if this is just Maude Adams isn't a great actor. I didn't think her or Moore had any chemistry, mm-hmm. really. And also, the other thing about her character that kind of stinks is that they'll talk about, like, hey, this is, we talk about this a lot, but it's it seems the need, need to talk about, like, why they don't kill Bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, like... Like, I don't, I mean, Khan can just kill them pretty much right away. It actually tries to, but then, cause he sends, um, he sends his, what's the, what's the sidekick's name? The, oh, uh, it's, a uh, it's Gorbenda, I think, something like that. Gorbenda. Yeah, Gorbenda. He sends him after him after that whole backgammon scene mm-hmm. and attempts to kill him then. And then they don't succeed, of course. But then the next time he meets Khan, Khan, like, lets him come into the house, gives him a room. I mean, he's under guard and everything, and he's probably going to kill him, but I'm just like, why well, aren't yeah, you there just is, killing him now? There's a point in here, and this is, you know, they they go they go back to do this quite a bit in the older Bonds. Yeah. They did it in Goldfinger quite a bit. But, mm-hmm. um, but in this one, he says something like, we've got to know what you know. So I guess yeah. there is an information thing in here where it's like, well if he knows about our plot to accidentally uh blow up a nuke then then our plan is is done and we're going to have to we're going to have to figure something else out or whatever but uh i don't know they, they he does again yes there are many times where they could just go ahead and kill him and they don't um well and they kill another agent too i mean that's the, that's how this starts right they mm-hmm. kill 009 yeah. so they had no problem killing him yeah but then bond they decide I, I don't know. And the thing I was trying to say, though, about the Octopussy character real quick, that is she ends up finding out that he was the one that tracked down or caught her dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, her dad had, you know, he was a he was a jewel thief or whatever. And uh, and Bond, instead of killing him himself or putting him in prison, Bond allowed him to take his own life. Mm-hmm. And she is very grateful for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of becomes Bond's protector. It's just a really weird yeah. really weird reason. And I mean I'm you know people could, I mean I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying that just seems like kind of like somebody came up with that, told yeah. somebody else. That's, like let's that's put that the, the reason. Yeah. <laughs> there could <laughs> have been millions bizarre. of other reasons, but you ended up on that one, yeah. And that's something they actually took from the story, kind of, which Mm -hmm. I'll get into. But I think that's the problem I have. But and so once that happens, now all of a sudden, like Octopussy kind of becomes a good person, kind of. Yeah. At least she's trying to protect Bond. She wants Bond to work for her. Uh, Khan still wants to kill Bond. I think we're supposed to believe that she just all she does, and we're supposed to be, I don't know, more sympathetic to her or whatever. Is that? Uh, is that all she does is she smuggles jewels. There's no killing. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. no anything else. So uh, that's what she does, and she uses the carnival as her front, and that's it, pretty much. So, so like, she's oh, she's a, not that bad. She's not that bad of a person. So yeah, no, she's just she just steals jewelry. She mm-hmm. uh, she's just a thief. Yeah. Uh, she um, and she has a she has an island full of women. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I was kind of impressed didn't get more creepy with Bond being on that island. But, yeah, uh, I think with <laughs> I think with Moore's own personal, uh, especially from what he said about yes. having the co-stars and For Your Eyes Only who were half his age, um, 
I think I think Moore himself is who puts the kibosh on a lot of that that type of stuff um, of it Probably being so. too creepy, you know. Um, so I, I, it makes it, it sort of makes sense that they don't get too pervy about that. Uh, again, it's a, a lot, again it's a lot like the uh, but this whole this whole place again reminds me of the pussy galore flying circus because that was yeah. exactly what yeah. she did in that she trained a bunch of beautiful women to be bombers or whatever but pilot bombers or whatever and uh, in this one she's training all of them to be circus yeah. performers and thieves. But there's also men in the circus. Like where are they? Like this whole like are they just staying on a different island? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> like no men are allowed but you see kamar khan always there and yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. and then of course they do have the because vj and q are like taking shifts like monitoring stuff going on over there yeah and uh vj's like has he come back yet or something and q's like on an island with all women we'll be lucky if we see him before a morning or he says yeah. something like that uh christina wayborn also we find out at this point her character magda she's actually uh I guess on octopusy side versus being on, mm-hmm. you know, con side of the whole thing. She's octopusy's like, you know, uh, aid or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, partner or whatever. Um, which her and I guess her, her and bond do hook up too. It's earlier mm-hmm. in the movie. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's kind of a situation we're trying to find information. Yeah. That's the whole situation where he, she, he puts out the, it's the fake, I think it's a fake egg, uh, for her to steal. Um, and it's got the, it's got the little device inside yes. of it. The, the recording device. See, I'm confused uh, about that too. Cause I think that's supposed to be the real egg because bond had the real, no, egg. the real egg. Uh, he, he had to sign a chit for the real egg. Oh, that's right. That's right. So it's yes. a fake one that has a little, yeah, and they, they smash this egg at the end yes, too. That's but right. there's a little, right. there's a little, um, uh, transmitter in this thing that allows them to know where yeah. it is. And, uh, and it allows him to overhear conversation. Yes. Uh, and so that's how he, he knows where the, um, uh, where the circus is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause it's called the Karl Marx something. It's Karl yeah. Marx, uh, stat or something like Karl Marx Marx stat is what they call it and they know of course they tell the exact like location and time and everything over this uh over this uh uh, transmission but But, uh anyway and then I also I really like Louis Jordan I I like him I I think Mm -hmm. he's just great as this type of character um Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would just want to see him like just be like a love interest in a movie or something. But if it's like something like this mm-hmm. or like Arcane and Swamp Thing, like I'm down. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and Burkoff is is fine. Like he's not. I I like him better in other stuff I've seen him. But he's a pretty good villain. Like he just looks like a bad guy kind of. And you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you grew up in those era, yeah, he was yeah, always yeah. The villain. He was like he was one of the bad guys, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, so I like stuff like that. I I think where this movie really falls apart, though, it, the times where I'm not on board is just a the plot, I, the stuff with the jewelry is like it gets so weird, and, and and then like you said at the end of it, I don't think the jewelry even matters. So it it kind of becomes mm-hmm. this uh like you're getting a headache trying to figure out what all this is, why this is happening, and then at the end it's like it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, by the end of yeah. it, they're just like, oh, all this treasure is is uh, yeah. just going to go to this one dude anyway, and it doesn't really, yeah, like all the fakes don't really matter all yeah. that much. And but this movie attempts to do a lot of humor too, and I don't, I don't think it works. 
the the Tarzan sound effects, for instance. <laughs> so bad. So bad. <laughs> Another thing, like who like somebody wrote that and somebody else is like, Yeah, we're definitely mm. doing that, man. That's awesome. Um, I, I, I bet that was just like in the editing room. <laughs> they were just like, hey, let's just add the Tarzan. Thing. You know, it's like, like, make, like they're, it, like, they're trying to make a joke or something. And then they actually makes he, it into the film. They're like, Whoop. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, was it Modern Romance where Albert Brooks is the Foley editor? And he, I believe and they're so. doing the science. They're doing the science fiction movie with George Kennedy in it, and like, they're like, we need, we need uh, the sound of people running across a carpet or whatever, or across the floor, <laughs> and they end up getting this like Hulk sound where it's just Hulk like screaming yeah. and like pa- like pounding and everything, and he's like, he's like, it's this Hulk running. It should say Hulk screaming, not Hulk running. That is an amazing <laughs> movie, by the way. I just saw that for the first time, like in the last couple of years, and God, Albert mm-hmm. loves it. Yeah, it's he great. Is- he was killing it in the eighties um, yep. and seventies. I guess that might've even actually been seventies. I, I can't remember. Um, I think it was 81. I think that's right. That's right. Modern Romance. Cause the one he does before that, I get those confused. The real life is the one he did like, like yeah. 78 or 79 maybe, mm-hmm. uh, which is a pretty fascinating movie too. Cause it like basically predicts reality television. It's crazy. Uh, mm. But anyway, hmm. Um, I, so yeah, there's that, uh, the VJ character is very like stereotypical and it's just like, he's supposed to be funny, but it's just kind of, it's just kind of weird. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, he's going to die too. Yeah, as soon as they have, sucks. as soon as he and Q have shifts yeah. and Q leaves for the <laughs> day and VJ ends up being in there, you're like, oh, that dude's dead. And it's horrible. That dude's dead. Gonna... It's horrible. There's this yeah. really cool, and this is, I like this device. It's like a, it's like a saw. Yeah. It's like a, like a circular saw right. blade that's hooked to like a chain and, the these people they hire to go after them i don't even know who they are they're like thugs or whatever but one of the guys has this weapon and he just drops it down and then it just like i guess like kind of cuts them in half or what i mean i don't know it does something Mm -hmm. to them it's it would be a horrible painful death it's kind of reminded me of like that woman in jurassic world that did absolutely nothing except put up with these shitty kids for the entire movie and then she gets like the meanest fucking death with the with the pterodactyl like picks her up and then throws her in the water (laughs) Oh yeah. Ugh. Well, and apparently the actor on that too, who was who was throwing the saw, they apparently in the scene where he throws it, throws the saw down between Maude Adams and Roger Moore. That scene, uh, he apparently had like um, to get closer to the action, he had knocked away a couple of like mm-hmm. boards or something to to get closer, and like he fell from that height uh when he did this when he did this saw thing and he ended up breaking his arm uh doing this thing and uh the, and they were like well i guess we're gonna have to find a replacement and he's like nope he, he <laughs> oh, like yes. I, like everybody in these bond movies <laughs> are always like nope i'm gonna do this with a broken leg and i'm gonna do this with a probably, broken arm and probably. apparently he shows up he needed to he shows up in the he shows up in the movie with a like cast on yeah, his arm that's right. like it's it's barely it's like they usually concealed but like uh for the most part yeah he's got that on that's him, so. crazy i was just gonna say he probably needed to keep his sga benefits because he was gonna have to go to the hospital so it's like i gotta keep working yeah it's like <laughs> that's true it's very true i have no idea but uh sorry i interrupted but that that's all i was trying to say um mm-hmm. so yeah and then there's like um I don't know. I I just think the the humor in this is is not great, and that's that's true for a lot of Bond movies. I mean, they've never been that awesome at humor, and I think if they are, it's almost like accidental. It's just 
just mm-hmm. the line delivery or something like that. But when they actually try to do these, like, I don't know, this is a very 80s thing too, right? It's just really broad comedy that just doesn't mm-hmm. always work. Yeah. And it's just, and it's weird. And, and the one-liners are bad too. Like the the thing about like, where he's like, here, you're going to need this for your asp or something like yeah. that. Like when he's handing him the the recorder or whatever. You're going to need, the, it sounds dirty, but it's not dirty. And it's just a bad line. And like, so there's a lot of, it's like they've sort of run out of steam on like what kind of one-liners to use and what kind of humor that they want to do. And there's that one where it's like they're in the car and then the, she's like, we have company. And then he's like, that's no problem. This is a company car. You're just like, wow, yeah. wow. <laughs> like, what yeah. was that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like the line where uh, when he's having, uh, he's just had, oh, that's right. Yeah, he's just had sex with uh, Magda and she's got like an octopus uh, tattoo. Yeah. And he's like, what? Well, he's like, what is that? She's like, that's my little octopusy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And he has this look on his face like, oh, well, yeah, that explains it. I do like, there is some dumb stuff in this I like, though. I like the alligator fake, the fake al- or a crocodile. I don't know what yeah. that's supposed to be. I assume it's, I don't know what's in, I think both may be in, in India. I don't know. Yeah, but. I'm not sure. There's, there is, I, I, every time this comes up, I'm like, okay, what's the difference? And it's always the it's the snout, but I don't I don't know what part of the snout that's different that makes it an alligator and what's crocodile. And I'll look this up right afterwards to like figure what that <laughs> is. But yeah, it's 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 I think it's a crocodile. I think that's what so, it's supposed to be. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that reminds me of we were sending Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, and I just assumed yeah. those were crocodiles because of course you would. And and then you find out mm-hmm. they filmed alligators in Florida, and you're like, God, yeah, damn it. yeah. <laughs> Well, and that was the thing. Like, I like I had done enough research on that on a previous yeah. Sin movie that I was like, I was like, those look like alligators, not crocodiles. Even though, like, there's hardly, I mean, there's barely any difference. Yeah, I know, but I was I know. like, but then it, yeah, that was, um, it was, uh, what's his name? It was uh, like Frank Marshall, maybe was the one that went and shot the alligator. I don't remember who was on that. Who was like a second yeah. director or whatever on that. But, uh, anyways, yeah, it's funny. Um, so, but I do, but there's like a, to, to, the fake crocodile, it, it like pops up in the water and then Roger Moore like opens up the mouth or whatever and he comes yeah, out of it. Yeah, which is another, uh, it feels like another callback to a previous Bond. I think it was from, is it from Russia with, from Russia with Love where he has the pigeon or the no, dove or something like that? It's Goldfinger yeah. that has, where he, where he's got that on his yeah. head and he's going up to the <laughs> shore or whatever. Yeah, it is so. kind of like that. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. I weirdly like that. I, I don't know. That's always stuck with me too. Uh, speaking of Temple of Doom though, I thought this movie also felt a little Raiders of the Lost Ark. Did you get that too? I was about to say that, you know, we, we've talked about how the influences of what's popular has started to seep into James Bond. Yeah. Uh, itself is where Moonraker is the Star Wars version of Bond or whatever, and then this one is the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and and I don't know how far Spielberg and Lucas were into Temple of the Temple yeah. of Doom when they when this movie came out. They could have already been shooting it for all I know, and they already had all their ideas. But uh, there's a lot of Temple of Doom that you see the neck the following year mm-hmm. uh, in this movie as well. So like it's it's like it's like this movie's taking from Raiders and Temple of Doom is taking from Octopussy <laughs> in some ways. It just feels a lot like they're just kind of like exchanging ideas yeah. all the way throughout. The scene in the marketplace mm-hmm. uh, is exactly like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, almost. I mean, down to the fact that they go through. 
that that they go through that like advertisement or whatever <laughs> and the the other one comes down over it that's exactly what happens <laughs> in raiders crazy. right like that's um and uh and you know of course he has that you know it pays to advertise or whatever um <laughs> oh it's another line yes uh, oh god yeah uh but that whole scene feels like that because he keeps he, he he's going through that marketplace and doing all that and then the yeah, the the um, they go to Kamar Khan's palace and they serves the sheep's head, yeah. uh, which is a Temple yep. of Doom's one of its biggest scenes is all the exotic dishes that are going on in Temple of Doom. Uh, so yeah, it feels like there's sort of like ideas been taking, and we already talked about earlier in Moonraker uh, that you know that he that uh, Broccoli took that he wanted to have permission to play that Close Encounters. Mm-hmm uh thing for the buttons and spielberg said i want to have the bond theme in my movie so you know they're looking at each other's work and and like borrowing from each other all the time so would not surprise but broccoli me. doesn't want spielberg to direct a bond movie <laughs> it's just like right, I'm just right exactly which you. makes no sense <laughs> yeah it makes no sense and then later on well and then later on spielberg puts connery in last crusade yep. and like you know it's like i finally got my bond now <laughs> motherfucker you know and really kind of gate well i guess i do i mean untouchables had happened before that but connery like in the 80s including we'll talk about this when we talk about never seen ever again connery wasn't doing that great and they like he had kind of he wasn't really a star anymore uh but then yeah. he got but then he won the oscar for untouchables and then i think last crusade put him back like in the the big the bigger movies uh well and sort of famously had turned down so many yeah. uh movies that that went on to become huge oh, hits yeah. as well kind of so um anyway which is probably true for most big actors but like at the same time maybe they had so. hits to coincide with it like eddie murphy didn't do ghostbusters but that's because he was doing beverly hills cop and you know that actually mm-hmm. made more money so i mean yeah you know it's usually stuff like that but yeah the raiders of the lost dark stuff i just thought that was interesting because uh, i'm glad i'm glad you caught that too i figured you would but i just i didn't know if that was just me being crazy no i it's it seems uh, it seems a bit obvious in fact yeah. like it, it could be like i said it could be some coincidence here and there but i i really do think that they're sort of just taking from each other at this point well, bond movies and spielberg and i don't know the actor i don't remember the actor in raiders but the guy who gets his hand burnt when he's trying to you know like the the bad guy the one of the oh yeah the little guy like steven burkoff could yeah. have been that guy and i would have been like yeah that yeah. <laughs> yeah um i love uh i love how she has her robe with the octopusy trademark on it like she's built her whole life like she <laughs> has a brand even though she's like a, a thief yeah. I, I, right. stuff like that i just thought was crazy uh it's it, it is on her circus that's so. true that's true i mean i would say i would i will say though it is it is weird though like as as hard as it must have been for some people to request tickets for octopussy when they went to the ticket when they went to the box office yes. i i, I find, would find it would probably be harder for I mean, they are in foreign countries, so maybe does pussy doesn't matter that yeah. much or whatever. The word pussy doesn't matter that much. Uh, but, you know, I, these families going up to, like, get tickets for the Octopussy Circus. That, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's you – know, we see it at the end. It's, it's, on, it's in Germany, I believe, at the very end. So, like – uh you know maybe it doesn't really matter but if that that play if it goes to anywhere any kind of english-speaking country mm-hmm. then people are gonna be like huh octopussy circus what kind yeah. of what kind of like non-family values crap is that <laughs> uh bond is like a master of disguise in this movie like he's like 
uh, not only the alligator, but he dresses up as a gorilla at one point uh, to to avoid mm-hmm. something. Uh, he dresses up as a clown, which that's a really weird scene because I'm sitting there trying to think like, did he do the makeup himself? Like, yeah, <laughs> like how, right. how did this yeah. work? Yeah, I mean, he he's like, like a really good like he went yeah. all full out on that clown like, makeup. He had been a clown yeah. before in his life, and we just weren't aware because like he knew what he was. He even looked exactly like the guy, the other clown that you know. He, yeah, he, it was. I don't know. I thought that was. And then also at the beginning, the agent 009 or whatever. I guess he was undercover in the circus because he's in a mm-hmm. he's a, he's a clown when he gets killed, right? Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but it's a weird scene where uh, that scene with Bond is the clown and he's like going up to the the military guy and like, please, please, you've got to stop this. And it's just such a weird scene because he's in a clown costume. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the guy doesn't believe him. He thinks it's just part of the show. At yeah. First and, and, uh, yeah. and Roger Moore even said he didn't want to do it at first. He was like, this is this is ridiculous. And then he finally got on board. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was that made him think it was fine, but or maybe he just didn't have a choice. I don't know. He was like, well, look, he's got to get into the circus somehow. They're not going to just let him in as as a regular dude. He's got to be dressed up as something. <laughs> he might, you know, could be dressed up as anything and get in the circus. Yeah, they could put like a fake mustache anyway. on him or something. I mean, anything. Yeah. Uh, but apparently he just wanted to, he knew how to do clown makeup and he wanted to show everybody. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, Bond just has learned so many things <laughs> in his life and putting on clown makeup is one of them. Yeah, I guess that's kind of a Bond thing. Like whatever he needs to be an expert in at that time, he's an expert in. I guess that's just kind of a, that's yeah. kind of a Bond trademark. Uh, there's a scene with the kids in the car. He's trying to get a ride because he's stuck somewhere and those kids in the car act like they're going to give him a ride and then they drive off. This was like a weird yeah. like eighties thing, like that like was mm-hmm. like Halloween four, oddly enough, has a scene exactly like that. Yeah. Uh mm-hmm. I just I, it's just funny when you see stuff like that. Uh it's just interesting bond in the eighties. And I just like you like we were talking about with Fear Eyes only. I didn't realize how quickly uh we were already in the eighties in these Bond movies. Mm-hmm. You almost, almost like Bond kind of defined what some of the eighties trademarks were. Uh, and probably did. Yeah. Uh, the sliding down the staircase scene, I've always remembered. I always enjoy that scene. Yeah, uh, good stuff. Well, I just and I also just like how there's like that pineapple or whatever ornament like on the the end of the banister. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he has to shoot that yeah. so he doesn't like hit his nuts. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's just I don't know. I think this movie's fun. Mm-hmm. I just think it's fun. I I do too. I I think it's I like it because it's different. Yeah. It's different from most. Uh, we've talked about the confusion there is with all the jewel stuff and i don't think it really matters in the end but uh it's just so different it's it's distinct from most bonds like if you you can't really you can't there you know we've gone through some a lot of these movies and it's like yet another ski scene yeah yet another this scene yet another you know they keep repeating themselves over and over again and this one there's hardly any time you're going to be able to say, well, that one where he's at the circus and you're going to be like, which one is that? It's, it's octopusy all yeah, the time. Yeah, and he's in India. Um, I, I don't yeah. know if there's one after this where he goes to India. I don't remember one, but there might be. Mm-hmm. But before this, there wasn't. And I that's why I'm so glad they didn't do it in Japan because that would have just felt like, you know, oh, hey, we're back yeah. in Japan or the Bahamas or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that helps. Um, it definitely, but like I said, it's not great by any means. Uh you know, Maude Adams isn't great and the humor is not really well placed and uh, some of the stuff doesn't make sense like we've already said. But despite all that, and I think a lot of this too, I don't know if they were just so concerned with 
never say never again. I, I don't know what it was that, but this it's very messy, but it's kind of, it mm-hmm. kind of works. I'm actually, I'm actually kind of surprised you liked it too. I was, I was thinking this was going to be one where I was going to have to be like, sorry, I like this. <laughs> You're mm-hmm. going to be like, this movie's terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But going into this, I would have definitely thought for your eyes only in my mind for your eyes only was a much better movie than Octopussy. And it is 100% mm-hmm. the opposite. <laughs> like it's not even close. Yep. I don't think. Uh, but yeah, Octopussy, it would fall like right now, like we've done 13 of these, right? Or 14, I guess, if you count Casino Royale, this was the, this was the 13th, right? Uh, yeah. So we've done 14 of these and this would be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Uh, somewhere in that, like Dr. No, Moonraker, Live and Let Die, somewhere in that general vicinity. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything to talk about before we get to our rankings? Nope. All right, let's do that. Uh, we are now going to rank this film in five different categories. Our scale will be based on something that Bond holds near and dear to his heart, as long as they are shaken and not stirred, and that would be martinis. So for each category, we rank from one to five martinis, five being the best damn liquid that has ever passed your lips, one being the well liquor you had to settle for or were too drunk to care that night. So uh, just overall, like just the movie itself, the story and everything, uh, what what's your feeling on that? Uh, the story is is a it's probably about a three three point yeah. five. Um, it it's uh, it's just a little confusing. We've talked about that enough. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit confusing, but in all, I think it's I think it's I think it's a fun I think it's fun and I think it's 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 fairly straightforward, even though it's hard to follow all the ins and outs of it. Um, and it looks like even though they went back to, you know, they came back down to earth mm-hmm. with for your eyes only and all that, uh, it looks like they've kind of gotten back into an element of like megalomaniacal, megalomaniacal villains oh, where, uh, where it's, uh, you know, where Steven Burkoff playing Orloff in this Orlov in this has a plan that seems similar to past bond, uh, villains, mm-hmm. even though, and he's not the main guy. He's not the main villain or anything. He's not a guy who has his own lair or anything like that. But that that idea of blowing up something so that the the world superpowers think something else has happened, and then they think, and the villain thinks because of that, this is going to happen. That is a very Bond villain mm-hmm. thing to do. And they, I, I missed a little bit of that, like. I, I missed a little bit of that fantastic element that that usually highlights most Bond villains from For Your Eyes Only, which was just very basic stuff. Um, yeah. So, uh, the the story here is is uh, is pretty good. I think three to three three and a three and a half somewhere in there. Yeah, I'm going three. I think you said it all mm-hmm. perfectly too. I don't really have anything to add to that. But yeah, no, it's definitely a three. I I, it's, I mean, like, I don't think it could be anything else. Um. The Bond. This is the the Roger Moore performance. I was, he's he's pretty good in this. He has a couple of scenes where he has to do some really weird stuff, like the clown scene. I mean, that's hard to mm-hmm. like. It's, it's really, I mean, it's really hard to take him seriously because he's in all this clown makeup. But uh, mm-hmm. and he's like just pleading, like he's just his heart is out there, like please yeah. <laughs> just listen to me. Yeah. But I'd still give yeah. this a three. I mean, it's a totally perfectly mm-hmm. fine performance. He seems to be having fun. Uh, yeah. and you know, he's concerned, you know, Roger Moore, the actor is concerned about his age and we'll get more into that when we talk about view to a kill in a couple weeks, but he, there's a lot of concerns there that, you know, he's just not, not the most comfortable playing these roles. 
I, I think they did a little... I don't know what Maude Adams and the other actors... I don't really know what the age difference was, but at least they looked a little closer well, in age Maude to Maude Adams is 38, I believe, okay. at this point. Um, and, um, He's like in Christina his early 50s. Wade, yeah, Christina Wayborn, I think, was in her 30s. Okay. Um, she was she was 33 when she did this. Yeah. Or, well, it was 33 when, she, when it came out, but... Um, uh, so yeah, they're in their thirties. He's not dealing with you know um, would be ice skaters in this. Yeah, one. yeah, and the characters um, are more mature. The characters are older yeah. and that kind of thing. So I maybe yeah. that made him a little more comfortable. But I but I know but but despite all that, he's still like he's a professional. He's he's given a performance and it's it's fine. So yeah, so I think well, you said three on that as well. Yeah, three. For, yeah. So yeah. The, I don't think there's ever a point. Maybe maybe I've already contradicted myself. I don't think there's ever a point where more is like into the sub three category i don't think i don't think so. like more himself yeah i don't think so um so i mean man with the golden yeah. gun even i think we might have given him a three i'd have to go back and listen yeah but yeah because it's none of that's really his fault no, that movie it's not um and, and for your eyes only is a little weird too because that's clearly a role that was written for like more of a connery type but even mm. then he still kind of makes it work no i like more yeah i i I, I think Connery's a better actor, but there are things about more I like better in, in this role, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The villain slash henchman, that, that's kind of a mixed bag for me on this one. What, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I think it's the only reason why it's hard to like pinpoint is because we don't know... Kamal Khan seems like a like a a really good villain. Like he might be the best part mm-hmm. of the villain. Uh, Louis Jordan mm-hmm. is probably the best part of this. Um, so like, I, yeah, I, I think Kamal Khan is probably like a three point five. But then Orloff, who I mean, I like Stephen Burkoff yeah, and everything, I know he kind of is like I don't know. He's kind of not given much Mm-mm. to do except scream at the beginning of it, and then. Um, and, and then we're just sitting there wondering what the plan is the whole time. Like, I guess, you know, it's, um, I, yeah. So he's like a, he would be like a 2.5 or a three. And then Maude Adams is never really a villain in the movie. Um, and then you have, uh, you have the, um, um, God, what is his name? Uh, the, um, the, uh, the Gobenda Gobenda, character. Now he would be a 3.5, um, as far as like villain henchmen go, um, uh uh like i said i wish they could have let him speak more because he's got a great voice um so yeah i mean the villains in this uh you know there's not there's not one you know person to point to in this one really and not really there's no there's no like singular performance yeah. out of any of them uh so yeah it's they're all just kind of it's kind of averagey I, I just average stuff i just see there's too many villains so i, I i'm giving this a two uh, just because I just mm-hmm. I just think there's too many villains. I think Louise Jordan is great. Uh, I think the Stephen Burkow character is terrible. I, I, he's just such a generic. Uh, yeah, he kind of reminds me of an early version of that uh, Russian character in uh, Goldeneye. The the one. Yeah, of, yeah. He just kind of reminds me of him. Like yeah. it's just super. Just why are you even here? Like why would anybody let you work with them? Um, and then mm-hmm. you're right, Gabin, I think Gabinda is. Um, I think he's very underrated. Like I, I don't think he gets talked about enough. And it's probably because mm-hmm. he's coming right after Jaws. Uh, Grace mm-hmm. Jones is also very popular, uh, and she's going to be mm-hmm. in the next official Bond film. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I think he just kind of comes between them, and it's just you know he gets lost in the shuffle. But no, you're right. He's he I I like him better than Jaws. I think uh, mm-hmm. based on uh, Moonraker, not oh no no based on um, Spy Who Loved Me, uh, not not yeah. not the Jaws and Moonraker. He's definitely better than that. Um, and he's up there with like odd job in that conversation. But I just, like I said, I just don't think any of them get enough to do to really stand out. So that's why I was going with a two, mm-hmm. maybe more like a two and a half, but still. Yeah. Uh, gadgets and gizmos. They kind of go back to that at this. I mean, I would say the saw, the saw weapons fun. I would count that the alligator probably counts. And, uh, the, uh, the little transmitter yep. thing that's inside the, the Fabergé egg. Yeah. Um, I think it's a three. The little watch, like yeah. I don't know if that uh that does does that he Q uh shows demonstrates something with uh, hydrochloric acid or something at the before he goes out there. I don't think they ever I use it. I don't think it, they though. do either. They don't. There's okay. like a thing where the acids mix together and whatever, and I'm like, oh, that'd be cool, and it never really. I just it like never how really come wherever country they go to, they set up like a Q shop. Like they have like the workers and everything yeah. over there. They're doing right. like all, and maybe they just start have them all over the world or something. I don't know, but it's just funny. But like you're sitting there going what's happening back in london where they you know are they is everything empty there does he have a, is there a guy is there a, is there another letter guy that's like running the 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 gadget shop while he's gone oh my god because yeah, you had like that that door that like opened and like slammed into the dummy or whatever and all that stuff but yeah yeah, I yeah. Know, i'd give it a three it's it's perfectly it's fine. it's a you know those are those are stuff that i would call like you know naked gun or police squad oh, very scenes much where we're like where that we're I mean, even though police squad parodied parodied them in in a police squad and then naked gun really those were already parodies in, in exactly. of themselves they're just jokes is yeah. all they are yeah they are so, and it's uh they're very cheeky if it were british uh, well yeah which of course you know that this one has the really stupid one where he goes into the gadget room and he sees that camera and he, he just focuses on that secretary's boobs or whatever. And, 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 and Q's like, grow up double Oh seven, blah, blah, blah. Why do you have the camera focused there? I mean, it's like, it's, yeah, it's so, it's so stupid, but, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Austin Powers, I guess, makes fun of those too. I would assume. I don't, yeah. Yeah. It's been so long since I've watched those movies. Uh, there's even like in that uh, we send a spy that Melissa McCarthy mm-hmm. movie, and they even have like a like a Hugh thing, and it's a Michael yeah, yeah. Uh, what's it, Michael McDonald is that his name the guy that's always in the Paul yeah, Feig Michael McDonald yeah, uh, and he's mm-hmm. in uh, Halloween Kills, um, <laughs> Halloween Kills Michael McDonald yeah um, mm-hmm. yeah but anyways so yeah no that's definitely like becomes parody in other movies but you're right I think Bond kind of already is making fun of itself before we even get to that point, you know, it's pretty funny. Um, the song all time high. Um, I don't like the song. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There's don't just like it nothing to it. It's not memorable. It's not terrible. That, that, now, I don't know if there was, I don't know if there was some sort of, uh, financial, like, you know, mm-hmm. like you make a love theme to something, maybe it sells better or something. Uh, but these last mm-hmm. two songs that they've done just don't seem like Bond, and especially since the love interests in both of these, both for your for your eyes only and this movie, 
aren't like they're not the love story isn't a big deal so i the love the love theme songs that go into these don't make really much sense for these movies um there's no action intrigue mystery feel to these songs and uh just on its own i'm i don't know if i like the song even on its own there's got it's got i guess it's got some flourishes here and there but i this is we've come we've 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 gone a long way down uh since you know like live and let Mm -hmm. die and and uh you know uh nobody Mm -hmm. does it better and all that these are those are some great songs this one these are both seem like they are have been made primed for 80s soft rock there's a, radio there's a pretty stations, great one coming basically. up in a couple of weeks although we might have different opinions on that but i know i love <laughs> possibly possibly um, yes i may be in the minority on that one but uh, uh yeah uh I, when 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 i play that movie i'll, I'll see if i can get into it so. oh man uh i don't do karaoke but uh uh, there's one of the Bond songs. If I ever did karaoke, that would be like one of my choices. Uh, we'll talk about it in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, it's not good. It's just it's just a bad song. It's I, I'm shocked to hear that it was like a hit. But maybe at that time, like all the Bond songs mm-hmm. were, because soundtracks were such a bigger yeah. thing too. I mean that that's just yep. Soundtracks haven't been much of a thing since the '90s, except maybe for the Bond movies. I mean those are really you know mm-hmm. it's just not a really that big of an emphasis anymore. But yeah, I mean, it's a two. I, it's not a terrible, but it's just, it's not anything. It's forgettable, which is why mm-hmm. I never remember the song yeah. exists. I will say this is, at, to this point, one of my favorite. I think Maurice Binder is really, really getting in. Like, I don't know, finding his groove, I guess. I mean, he's been doing it for a minute. Yeah, they, we're, we're, we're sort of like in an official... We're official in an official Bond credit land now. Like, there's no, there's no like, you know, he. It was kind of off and on in the Conneries. Yeah. Like Goldfinger's the one that really started it, but then they went back to other stuff after Goldfinger, and then and then like in the seventies we started seeing it evolve, and finally it's just be- it's become this. This is like the. This is what it is for for the remainder. Yeah, I think, pretty which might much. make the song more frustrating because, like, you're watching this really cool like visual palette, and then you're just listening to this really dull like you know all time high. You know, it's just yeah, yeah. Sounds like it's from like uh, it does like you're you're right though this because like I they're like we'll talk about license to kill and obviously in like you know a while but like license to kill is a theme song that that definitely is is kind of a love ballad as well, but it has like that bond theme in it. Like it's got that bond mm-hmm. feel to it. Like this just sounds mm-hmm. like something you'd hear in an elevator. Uh, yeah. or like, you know, like this would be like on the soundtrack for like love story or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. just doesn't fit in this movie. Uh, nope. but like you said, I don't even think on its own. It's that, it's that great. So, Mm-hmm. All right, so there you go. That's our uh, kind of our overall view of the movie. We have one segment left, which is not going to be that much because there's not much to this story. But uh, this is where we talk about the books that they are adapting these stories from, and that is a segment we like to call "The Spy Who Reads Me." Reading is one of my very favorite things to do. Whoa! I'm not reading that crap. Summarize it in one word. Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading. How can you read this? There's no picture. Cinema Sins might have taught you that the book doesn't matter, but for this segment, we're willing to concede it at least kind of does. We're going to give you the nitty gritty on what is similar to what you saw on the screen, what is different. There will be plenty of what the hell was Ian Fleming smoking when he wrote this. So, 
this is a short story that is in a collection that is called Octopussy and the Living Daylights. Um, the movie Octopussy takes scenes from a couple other books. Also, the the scene at Sotheby's, the the uh, the the auction, um, mm-hmm. that is a scene that is in a short story called The Property of a Lady, which is actually in this short story collection. It wasn't originally, but I think like after like 1967. Um, they they started they added it to uh, future editions. Also, I should say this book was released posthumously, uh, or is that right? Posthumously. Yeah, posthumously. Yeah. Yeah. Fleming Fleming had passed away when this when this was published uh, before this was published. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a short story that has nothing to do with this movie, but there's another short story that gets added to that collection called uh, 007 in New York. And then the Kamal Khan stuff taken uh, the back game in game. I already mentioned that's actually a scene mm-hmm. in Moonraker uh, that they ended up not using for the movie Moonraker. Uh, Bond is barely in this. This is kind of a spy who loves me situation again, where uh, we're getting it all told mostly in flashback. And it is the, it's major, it's Dexter Smythe. Now Dexter Smythe in the movie is Octopussy's dad. Um, We don't ever see him. He's not alive, but he's the one, he's Mm. the reason that Octopussy uh, appreciates that Bond helped uh, let him commit a suicide. I still think it's the weirdest thing to say, but. That, mm-hmm. that's what that's what's going on so octopusy in the short story is an octopus <laughs> mm, mm, um mm. so doc uh dexter smythe he's major dexter smythe it's another uh person that everybody thought was a hero in world war ii and he ends up being in a he ends up being kind of a traitor um, he, uh, he goes to uh, he stays in austria after the war and he finds all this gold and he gets a mountain guide to help him go get to it. And when they get there, he kills the mountain guide. And then 15 years later, this is the weirdest fucking thing. 15 years later, this glacier, I this guy is somehow in a glacier and like comes out of it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. It's really weird. I had to reread that a few times. And it's, of course, it just happens to be this guy that in Bond's childhood, it was his ski instructor and kind of like a father figure uh, to him. So he wants to go find out what happened to this guy. So they put him, they put him on a mission to, to try to track down Smythe and, uh, and find out. And then you find out Smythe is like living, where is he? Did I write where he was? I didn't write where he was. I don't know. He's 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 got like a house on a beach or whatever. And there's this octopus that stays around that area who he calls Octopussy and feeds her every day. Uh, he feeds her like these um, scorpion fishes that he captures and then he feeds them to her. Similarly to the story that Octopussy tells about her dad in the movie, that's kind of what happens here, where Bond decides to kind of let that guy make his decision. Because, like, Smythe at this point, he's old. He's kind of tired of running. He's just tired of, like, he's just tired of all of it. He feels bad about the murder. And, I mean, he's just, like, he's kind of over everything. So Bond basically gives him the option to, you know, how he wants to come in or does he want to you know, take his own life or whatever. But what ends up happening is he goes in the water to catch some more uh, scorpion fish and he gets stung by one. And then so he can't move because he gets like kind of paralyzed. And then his pet octopus or whatever uh, comes up and kills him. <laughs> so, All right. So that's how he dies. So okay. really the only thing the movie even took from this story was that it it turned... 
it, it, it used the title. It named a character Octopussy, and then it gave her father kind of a similar story. It just left out the octopus stuff, uh, mm. which I guess we're just supposed to assume that came from her just creating that circus and her trademark and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, there you go. It's it's not like it's not terrible or anything, but it's I don't and it's so bizarre. Like the octopus thing is so bizarre. It's kind of fun, and like the Smite mm-hmm. guy, he just talks to the octopus every day. Just it's just a old guy living by himself and doesn't like his life anymore. It's really, really pleasant. Uh, Yes. (laughs) It's just weird how they take these stories and they kind of create their own movie, but then they do take stuff from other books. And I just, it's been pretty fascinating kind of seeing all that. Uh, But anyways, Mm -hmm. that's, that's really all I got. Um, So yeah. So thanks for joining us this week. Also, before we go, we have social media. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter. Uh, we are at GoldSpy007. Uh, you can also reach out to me directly on Twitter. I am at SamLoomis13. You can email us at golddiamonddeath 7 at gmail.com. Uh, and if you like this podcast and other things under the CinemaSense brand, we also have a Patreon you can join at patreon.com slash CinemaSense. And if you have a second to leave us a five-star review at your podcast listening app of choice, we would appreciate it. Uh, we hope you'll join us again next week when we will talk about Never Say Never Again. So this will be our second and last, at least now, uh, adventure outside of the official franchise. I mean, I guess something. I guess they can make another Thunderball movie at some point. Although I think all that's under mm. the same umbrella now. I think they've kind of... Because they were able to start using Spectre and Blofeld and all that stuff again. So Yeah. So, But who knows? Uh, who knows what Amazon, what kind of crazy shit they're going to do with this franchise. Uh, but anyways, yes. So we will be talking about Never Say Never Again next week. Uh, until then, keep the martinis dry and shaken, the Baccarat shoe moving, and the Aston Martin fully gassed. This is Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins signing off, and we will see you next mission. Oh, 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 oh,